Well, good morning. Whether you know me well or we've never met, I have one thing I can say that we have in common, and I can say it with certainty. We've both made some bad decisions in our life. I think it's safe to say that both of us have some money that we've spent in our lives that we wish we've never spent. Cars, we probably shouldn't have bought. Relationships, we should have stayed out of. Jobs, we've never should have accepted. And phone calls that we probably shouldn't have returned. If you're like me, you can look back on your life, and there are certain decisions that you ask yourself, how could I have been so dumb? You know, you just you knew that you should have known better. But you just made that decision anyway. You thought you were part of that 5% that could beat the odds. And so you went with your emotions. You went against your intuition. You did your own thing like I did. And in the end, when it all came crashing down... You were left wondering, what in the world was I thinking? Kind of like the guy that's the poster child for this series, right? I have to confess, when Daniel Zapchenk sent me this graphic and said, what do you think about this for the series, I had to question, is this a wise choice? But I like this image for two reasons. One is that when you zoom in on this image, at the center of the image is my wife's name. (laughs) And I considered that a sign from God that it was the right choice. I'm not so sure she agrees. Yeah, and I also considered doing like a Where's Waldo thing for you guys so you could look for your name or your wife's name or your ex's name. Opted not to do that. But beyond the humor, I realized that this image vividly portrays a truth about our choices. While some of our bad decisions in life simply embarrass us, others scar us deeply. From where I sit as a pastor for the last 35 years or so, I've watched people make some really bad decisions in their life. I've watched the consequences of those decisions roll out and simply drain the life out of them, drain their finances, drain their potential. And I don't think anybody that I've ever met intentionally set out to ruin their life. I just don't think a lot of those people planned not to. I don't think I've ever met anybody that intentionally set out to destroy their marriage. But I've met a lot of couples that didn't intentionally plan to honor their promise as long as we both shall live. I don't think anybody ever plans to raise irresponsible, codependent, adult children. 
we probably get a 100% vote. Here, though, that we know people who've been very successful at doing that, all because they didn't plan not to. Nobody plans an addiction, but it happens. Why? Because of a lack of necessary precautions. Our bad decisions take us precisely to the place we had no intention of going in our life. And once we're there, we ask the all too familiar questions. Why did this happen to me? Why didn't somebody warn me? And will I ever find my way out? I said in first service, I'll say it again, the music here is just ridiculous. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, we are in what, I, it feels, speaking of ridiculous, a little ridiculous to call it two-week message series a series, but it is. Um, a mini-series, maybe? I don't know. Uh, and we're going to focus on this idea of how do we make wise choices in our life. And this morning, we're going to look at just three verses of Scripture. I did my best this week to not throw in other verses. I kept putting them in, pulling them out. We're just going to look at three verses in Scripture. So if you're ADD like me, it really helps. We're not going to be all over the Bible. We're just in three verses. I'll do my best not to lose you, and some of you already have. Um, But in those three verses lies a truth that I think radically changes the way we make decisions in our life. It can give us a new filter through which... We evaluate everything that we're asked to do, everything we're tempted to do or become a part of, every opportunity we're faced with in life, every invitation, every relationship. This passage, these three verses, challenge us to ask one simple question. And the question sheds light on those issues the Bible doesn't specifically address. But we're going to discover together it is not an easy question to ask. In fact, when you ask it, it gets quite uncomfortable. And the reason it gets so uncomfortable is that you and I have one more thing in common. Not that we, just that we've made some bad decisions, but we are really good at deceiving ourselves. We have this ability to make bad decisions sound like really great decisions in our life don't we? We can make poor financial choices sound like really great investment opportunities. We have this ability to make three scoops of ice cream sound like a smart decision with the phrase, everybody needs to live a little, as though ice cream holds the secret to life. Sometimes I think it does. Think about the phrases we use to rationalize bad decisions. You ever been sitting in a restaurant trying to figure out an order, and you look at what you really want, and you know if you order it, people are going to judge you who are sitting around the table, right? Oh, come on, don't act like I'm the only one. (laughs) And you justify. Before you do the order, you say to the waiter or waitress, you go, okay, this doesn't count because I'm on vacation, or It's the weekend, or the Cubs are in the playoffs, for now. Um, Oh, that was just for Anthony, okay? (laughs) He's a Sox fan. 
Or we say other phrases like, you only live once, or this won't hurt anybody, or I'll be careful, or I can handle it, I can quit anytime I want. We're just really creative, ingenious creatures. We can rationalize our way into or out of almost anything. And the funny thing is, while we're going to these creative lengths to rationalize these decisions in our life, that should be a signal to us. Just the very fact that we're rationalizing the decision. These alarm bells should be going off in our head. Because we seldom sit around dreaming up reasons why we should do the right thing. It's only bad decisions that require creative reasoning in our lives. That's why this simple question is so helpful. Because when we ask it, it throws a spotlight on all of our excuses. It dismantles all the arguments we put up in our lives to keep the truth at arm's length. So let's look at the passage of Scripture and discover that question. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, and here's what Paul says. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Crystal clear, right? Probably not. So let me unpack it phrase by phrase in just a few minutes here. So be careful how you live, Paul says. Following Jesus, Paul says, is not an easy endeavor. It's not a casual endeavor. Paul has spent chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians and the first 14 verses of chapter 5 on this theme. It's not a casual endeavor to follow Jesus. Those verses contain one of the most practical sections of teaching in all of the Bible on what it means to actually live the life that God calls us to. Paul talks in those verses about everything from God's view on sex to marriage to alcohol to foul language and crude jokes. He talks about how we're supposed to handle our emotions, what we're supposed to think about. And when you read those verses, it's intense, it's thorough, and at times, honestly, it's a little overwhelming. But what it also is, is crystal clear about the lifestyle and the character that we are supposed to have if we are going to live up to our claim to follow Jesus. We have to watch our steps if we're serious about living for Him. So Paul's given all of this teaching in 50-some verses, and now he transitions out of that and says, So, in light of all of this that I've just given you, be careful how you live. Living for Jesus is going to take moral discernment and practical skill in our decision-making. Well, what does being careful look like? Paul says, you're not going to be able to live like fools. You're going to have to live like those who are wise. And out of those ten words, 
comes the question that helps us consistently make those better decisions. Here it is. What's the wise thing to do? I've been living with that question for a few months now. I haven't told anybody, I haven't said a word. I just wanted to see what it would feel like. And I got to tell you, it's uncomfortable. It blows away my excuses. Have an argument, I didn't say this in first service because she was here. Have an argument with my wife. I know what I want to do. I ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? It's uncomfortable. Have decisions to make when I'm working. Have decisions to make with finances. You ask those questions, it's uncomfortable. Because it blows away all of my excuses. There's a cringe factor to the question. I don't like the question. But it's helpful. It flies in the face of the way that we usually ask questions about what we need to do. We usually ask a far more generic question. There's lots of variations. You might ask it a different way, but I think it usually comes down to something like this. Is there anything wrong with this? Whatever it is that you're considering or I'm considering. And we've all been there. We're considering option X. And we basically want to know if it's okay. Is there anything unethical, immoral, or illegal about what I'm considering doing? And in the immoral category, if we're following Jesus, we th- try to figure out, is there something in Scripture against this option? So we consider that. Is there anything wrong with it? And if there's not, then it's a live option, right? It's something we can do. Unfortunately, we live with that question as a guidance for our life. After a while, that can lead us to another option for a question. Not a question we verbalize. Not a question we even allow to get into our conscious thinking, it becomes a practice for us, though. And it's this question that starts to guide our choices. How close can I get to the line between right and wrong without actually doing something wrong? Does that make sense? If you've ever raised a teenager, it makes sense to you. A lot of teenagers dance really close to that line. How close can I get to what's wrong without actually going over the line? If you've ever been a teenager, you probably danced really close to that line. If you've ever been on a diet around the time they sell Girl Scout cookies, you've danced really close to that line. It's how we begin to evaluate our options. What's right or wrong? What's the choice we should make? It's why Paul says, don't live like a fool, but like a wise person. Over time, we live with that. How close to the line can I get? And we take another step. And it's a dangerous step. How far over the line can I go without experiencing consequences? How unethical can I be? How immoral can I be? How insensitive can I be without experiencing unmanageable consequences and outcomes? How long can I neglect my family? How long can I neglect my finances? How far can I push that line? It's a slippery slope. It begins ever so subtly. It begins by asking a question that seems noble. 
Is there anything wrong with this? And it ultimately ends with the question, how did I get myself in this mess? And what Paul's teaching us in Ephesians 5 is that we can avoid a foolish ending if we begin way over here with the right question instead. What's the wise thing to do in this situation? Just because the Bible doesn't carry a specific statement that says, I can do this or I can't do this. Just because there's not a specific command in this situation doesn't mean it's the right thing for me to do. Paul goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? If you were to take a trip, you could go over to the Mediterranean region where the city of Ephesus existed, They've excavated the city, found a lot of the ruins. You could walk around those ruins. You could actually walk the sidewalks from the city of Ephesus. Big stone sidewalks. And what you would find is that there are phallic symbols etched into the sidewalk that would guide you through the town, mark the pathway to the pagan temples where they held worship. Worship was a little different in Ephesus. And their way of raising support was a little different as well. Those pagan temples were supported through prostitution. As well, in the temple, drunkenness was encouraged, and sex was a regular part of the worship service. Now, that odd mix had a very practical impact in the town. The men of Ephesus were known all over the region as religious zealots. (laughs) I'll leave it up to you to figure out why. Nobody missed a worship service in Ephesus. It didn't have a whole lot to do with the teaching or the music. If you read the book of Ephesus, I'm sorry, the the book of Ephesians, what you discover is Paul writing to them and cautioning them strongly because some of the Christians were being drawn back into that lifestyle. They were making really bad decisions. They were attempting to blur the lines, and they were experiencing consequences in their life. That's what he meant by evil days. So he got really blunt with them, and subsequently with us. He says you have to be careful how you live, because you don't live in a morally neutral environment. And if we're not careful... If we're not on our guard, we can be drawn back into the chaos, into patterns of living that we're trying to leave behind. Because ours, too, is not a morally neutral culture. It's a culture that encouraged us in the most provocative ways to try to satisfy appetites and desires that can never be fully and finally satisfied. We need this question in our lives. We need to ask, what's the wise thing to do? It is the most helpful and at times the most annoying question we will ever encounter. The passage ends with Paul giving us this fatherly wisdom. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's like he's putting his arm around our shoulder and saying, look, All I want is for you to stop playing games. 
Stop rationalizing. Stop mindlessly being carried along with the crowd. Ask the uncomfortable question and embrace the answer. I just so much wanted to call this series No More Dumb Decisions. (laughs) And I wanted to do it as much for me as I did for anybody else. Because that's what I want in my life. So I want to make this as practical as I possibly can. So let me give you three simple, memorable variations of this question that I think will help us all make wise decisions. It's easy to remember. The first variation calls us to look in the rearview mirror when we ask this question. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing for me to do? See, every one of us has a unique personal history. A history that predisposes each of us to certain strengths and weaknesses in our life. Consequently, what might be safe for everybody else in this room this morning might not be safe for you or for me. So every opportunity in our lives needs to be viewed through that lens or with an eye in that rearview mirror asking, in light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing for me to do right now? Chances are there are places you have no business going because of your history. Certain types of people you have no business associating with simply because of your history. I know the people in my life I have no business hanging around. Because when I hang around them, my character changes. My attitude changes. And I don't mean for the better. Do you know who those people are for you? It doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means I change. Don't be content with simply doing the right thing. Do the wise thing. In some circumstances in our life, because of our past experiences, it might mean we need to cancel our internet. We might need to cancel our cable subscription because it's the wise thing to do. If you're single, it at times may mean you just drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to stop dating for six months or a year. It's just the wise thing to do. Just clear my head. Here's a second variation of the question. In light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? Think about your life right now as you evaluate a decision. Think about your frame of mind, your emotional state, You know, I think about that sometimes before I send an email. (laughs) What's the wise thing to do with my mental and emotional state? I probably should do it more. Think about your physical health. Think about your responsibilities. Think about your commitments, your finances. In light of everything that's going on in your life right now before you make a decision, what's the wise thing to do? Financially, vocationally, 
relationally, wherever you're facing a decision, evaluate right now. Life is seasonal. I believe this. So just because it's wrong now doesn't mean it'll be wrong next week. If the Bible doesn't give a specific, you shouldn't do this. And just because it's right this week doesn't mean it'll be right a month from now or a year from now. As a Christ follower, we're held to a different standard. Look at the wise thing Paul's saying here. A third variation on this question is this. In light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? My guess is everybody in the room would have a picture of what they want their future to look like. Some of you are very detailed with that. You have steps and you know how you're going to get there in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Others of us just have a picture, an idea of where we want to be. Whatever your future looks like, you've got an idea, even if you lack specific plans. And while it's true that unexpected twists and turns in our life can reshape our future, that's not the primary reason most people are robbed of their dreams. Most often, we rob ourselves of our dreams. And we do it when we make decisions today without any thought to the impact on our future. It is so important for us to remember Paul's words, don't act thoughtlessly. Today's decisions have to be evaluated in light of how they impact tomorrow. There is a long list of commands, directives in the Bible that are crystal clear. Paul spent a lot of time on it before he gave these three verses. Things we're supposed to do or not do. I'm convinced that most of us in this room don't wrestle with those things on a daily basis. We just don't. I mean, for example, there is a gorgeous Indian motorcycle in South Elgin (laughs) at the dealership. The Bible is crystal clear that it would be wrong for me to go visit that dealership today and simply take a test drive and never come back. (laughs) I can't walk out of the dealership with that motorcycle without walking away with a payment plan also. Those two kind of go together. I don't think anybody in this room really wrestles much with those kind of things. The big sins, the big issues, we kind of understand. But there's a lot that we wrestle with that isn't specifically addressed in the Bible. We search the pages and don't find the questions we're wrestling with specifically spelled out. There's some uncomfortable questions I do wrestle with. And the answers in the Bible are a little murky at times. Relational and emotional questions. Financial questions professional questions, even some spiritual questions. Well, I'd love it if the Bible just looked at me and said, Greg, do this. I'd love my name. Just Questions where we really do want to know God's heart and his direction in our life. And asking this simple question, what's the wise thing to do, helps us see God's desire 
in this life? That simple question brings clarity, brings biblical clarity. And after I verbalize that question, it's, it's a little embarrassing for me because the answer is usually pretty obvious. And what's more obvious is that I haven't really been wrestling with what's the wise thing to do. What I'm more wrestling with is a reluctance, a stubbornness to go ahead and do the wise thing. I think that's why ultimately I love this question. Is because doing the wise thing is what I want to see and what I want to be about. I want to stay on track. I want to stay on course. And I think you do too. Asking the question brings those dark places out in my heart brings them into the light. Asking that question helps our lives and our actions line up with what we say we believe, with who we really want to be. It helps us stay one step closer to the place that we all want to be, following Jesus with our whole heart.